Welcome to the Global Digital Banker podcast. I'm your host, Adele Grissoff, and today I'm joined by Eamon Carey, Managing Director for Techstars UK, the worldwide network helping entrepreneurs succeed. Eamon, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks very much for having me. So for anyone who's been living under a rock or maybe hasn't experienced um, access to funding or accelerators, can you tell us a bit about Techstars? What do you do and when did you launch in the UK? Yeah, so Techstars is the, the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. And our goal is to really support companies and founders at, at, at every stage of their journey from inspiration right the way through to, to IPO. Uh, and we do that in a couple of different ways. We run events like Startup Weekend where people come together and pitch ideas and build teams and create MVPs and prototypes over a, a 48 hour period. Uh, we run about a thousand of them in I think 120 or 130 countries around the world every year wow. now. Um, we run Startup Week where we uh, open up companies, offices, uh, programming in, in now I think 50 or 60 countries uh, around the world to help uh, founders and, and people who are interested in entrepreneurship discover what's happening in their, their local ecosystem. Uh, we run accelerator programs now, about 50 of them around the world where we invest into companies, we support them through a 13 week program of connecting them with mentors, advisors, partners, investors and kind of helping them grow and scale, giving them kind of two years worth of experience in, in three months and a little bit of investment uh, along the side. Uh, and we also have a VC arm that uh, that then invests in, in some of those companies and helps them go on. And so we've invested now in, in over 2000 companies. You know, we've tens of thousands of mentors and founders and alumni that have, have been through our, our network and, and really are, are very globally focused in terms of helping founders go from, hey, I've got an idea to, hey, I've got a business to, hey, I need a little bit of funding and mm. really kind of helping them along that way. And, and, and it's largely because all of us who do this job have been founders ourselves. I, I, I was a, you know, started uh, three companies, two of them worked out okay. One of them I learned a lot from, but yep. ran it into a brick wall repeatedly. <laughs> um, so I think we have a lot of empathy with, with what founders go through. And I think also mm. the, the view that we've had for a long time is, great companies happen, happen everywhere. Like it's mm. not San Francisco and New York and London, though great stuff happens there. It, it's also Jakarta and Seoul and all of these other markets. And we should be that worldwide network that actually opens doors and connects founders and, and helps them get to what they want to get to. Yeah, it really sounds like Techstars servicing and working with these entrepreneurs from end to end, mm -hmm. from that initial idea to helping them succeed and that ongoing mentorship. Um, but it's also, by the sounds of those events that you run, really fostering this community atmosphere amongst yep. the other founders as well, so they can bounce ideas off each other and share hurdles like they all go through and yep. success or, or those sorts of things. So globally, there's a lot going on. We've seen a ton of innovation through Asia, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, and of course, Silicon Valley, New York have been mm -hmm. um, around for a while. London is ranked the sixth strongest startup system in the world. So what are you seeing of most interest in this market? Are you I think it's been really interesting watching the, the ecosystem. I mean, I moved to London probably 10 or 11 years ago now, and um, watching the ecosystem develop has been a, a really interesting thing to go through because it's now way more open and collaborative and uh, supportive. I think now, if you look at it, there is a lot of capital coming through from different parts of the world. So you've got a lot of Japanese and Chinese investors and VC funds investing. Uh, we've had a couple of companies that have gone through Techstars recently where uh, the lead investor in their seed round was a, a US investor. So the pricing of rounds here is, is probably better than it is in the in the US. So I think London as, a, as an ecosystem, political kind of challenges notwithstanding is still, 
I think probably one of the best in in the world. I, you know, I, I used to run one of the textiles programs in in New York, and I spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And I would argue that that London is every bit the the equal of of both of those cities. Um, I think areas that are getting interesting. So there has been a a, a real boom in the number of companies in the kind of machine learning and AI space that have been mm, funded. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Cambridge, UCL, you know, even Imperial and, and, and a couple of the other colleges around London have a, have a very strong uh, data science, machine learning and, and AI competence. So we've seen lots of companies come through there from kind of Magic Pony to DeepMind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen lots and lots of fintech and increasingly now tech companies. And, you know, if you think about it, the you know, financial industry effectively was a uh, largely invented probably about a mile away from from where we're sitting Mm. Uh, and so the ability for early stage companies to come here to work with you know the Barclays of this world or with Aviva or with big uh, you know partners and and organizations even just to get a meeting with them to be able to have that conversation is Mm. is fairly substantial and you look at you know TransferWise or Monzo or Revolut and the extent to which B2C fintech companies have been successful and you can see there's a very clear path to success here and a clear path to funding and a mm. you know an understanding that this is a very vibrant market to launch in uh, we're starting to see a little bit more happening in kind of biotech and, and food tech so mm-hmm. again imperial and and uh, and a couple of others have, have really started to to foster that and i think everyone is kind of cognizant of the fact that you know whether it be alternative plant-based proteins or lab-grown meats or various different things they're a having a bit of a moment uh, mm-hmm. from a from a public perspective point of view but also uh, they are from an environmental and sustainability point of view you know pretty important parts of the the puzzle going forward so yeah. I think those are some areas that we've seen lots and lots in in cybersecurity seen lots of very big direct-to-consumer companies we're seeing lots of prop tech companies and I think the interesting thing about London in particular is you know if you look at the US if you're doing ad tech or marketing tech or property or fintech maybe mm-hmm. you know New York is a, a great place to be if you're doing content or entertainment or computer vision or different areas LA is probably a good place to be if you're doing pure play tech San Francisco is a good place to be Mm. if you look at London we want to deal with some of the biggest consumer brands in the world well Unilever have their HQ on the river Mm. and deal with some of the biggest fintechs in the world all right well 20 minutes away from there you've got pretty much every bank that you would ever want to talk to in the world and another 20 minutes away you've got Canary Wharf Want to talk to insurance companies? Well, Lloyd's have you know an office here. You want to talk to advertising companies? Most of the EMEA budget for the that part of the world is controlled at a at a Soho. And if you kind of think of taking a twenty or thirty minute tube journey, you can pretty much almost cover every sector that you could possibly want to cover. I mean, yeah. if you if you're willing to go forty five minutes, you can do pharma by going to Pfizer and uh, and all these people in kind of Welling Garden City the ability to actually access all of these different industries in in this part of the world is I think unmatched. Mm, Definitely. I think there's a lot going on. And as you said, it is all in this quite small vicinity. So it's just so accessible for everyone. And, you know, with so much competition on the market at the moment uh, and, you know, only a handful of startups making it past their first few years, what are some of the key hurdles or challenges that that these types of organisations need to be looking out for? I think, uh, you know, you've got to one of the things that we look for when we're invested in companies is kind of the the, the founder market fit right so mm. so people always talk about oh product market fit or problem solution fit but but for me one of the most important things is is the person that I'm investing in or considering investing in do they have some sort of unfair advantage or do they have a innate understanding of the market that they're going after do they have mm-hmm. some ability to kind of scratch a niche that they felt personally for a long time so i think understanding the market that you're going after is really important and and being able to kind of access that 
you know, even with SEIS and, and all of the funding advantages that exist here, I think it is still also very important for people and, and, and founders and companies particularly to think about how they're going to be capitalized and, and how much money they're going to need. And, and kind of VC merry-go-round is not necessarily for every company, right? I mean, mm. the, the companies that I started, we, we, you know, we did a crazy thing. We built a product people wanted, we charged them for it. And when we made enough money, we hired more people and you mm. know charged more money to, to more clients so we never went down that that vc road and i think for so some you were companies self-funded yeah we were self we were bootstrapped bootstrapped and, yeah. and, and self-funded and for some companies going and raising you know single digit or, or double digit millions of, of, of pounds is, is a brilliant way to grow their company mm. others you need to kind of think actually is this the is this the kind of roller coaster that you want to get on mm. or should you in fact build something that is more structured, sustainable, systematic and, and, um, and scalable. So I think thinking about funding is, is very, very important. And I think also kind of thinking about what is your strategy for attracting talent? Like if you think about it, the, the three biggest problems that companies doing tech stars or, or any other problem have is they need access to talent, they need access to capital and they need access to, to money, like a revenue. So partners mm. or clients or others. You know, the partners and client side of things, if you've got the right network, you can get to. The capital side of things, again, right partners, right network you can get to. The right talent, there's amazing talent coming out of the universities here. There's still the ability to hire great people here, but I think there is an increasing uh, demand from people that you're hiring to be part of something that has mission, vision, values, and a, and a real clear path to, to, to what you want to do. Mm. And so I think having that in mind at a very early stage as a company is going to allow you to hire better people and, and have better outcomes. Yeah, I think the focus on talent and finding the right cultural fit has been quite a topical piece lately. Mm. On that founder market fit, what are some of the skills or qualities, you know, personal qualities, for example, that stand out beyond, say, having a great idea and having, you know, great business acumen, mm. great business experience? I think, like, my favourite thing when I was doing, uh, and I really hate doing job interviews, and still I get asked to do it, sadly, but... Uh, <laughs> But my favorite thing to ask people was kind of like, all right, well, what were the last two or three books that you read? Or what was the last, docu mm. you know, whatever movie that you watched on Netflix? Or what are your favorite five websites? Like for me, people who are interested in things are interesting people. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so if you're kind of like, oh, you know, you've read a, a broad spectrum of, of different types of books or the, the worst answer you can give to what's your favorite website is oh, Google. Yeah. You know, I, I love hearing people go, oh, well, actually, it's not really a website. It's a subreddit. You can go, okay, well, actually, you're digging in on something very specific or, mm -hmm. you know, Hacker News or any of these different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's like finding people who are really interested in the world around them is, is something that's hugely important because I think, you know, running a company is not a set of binary decision processes, mm -hmm. right? Th there is a whole plethora of things that go on around being a CEO or being a co-founder or a COO where you have to have, you know, empathy and understanding and perspective and you know and, and you don't necessarily get that by just reading the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal or you know business books or listening to you know whatever I don't know the Andreessen Horowitz podcast mm. like you have to have a broader perspective on the world so I like Absolutely. people who have that broad level of interest I really like founders who are to an extent like the personification of the problem that they're trying to solve mm -hmm. where you you know that that CEO or those founders are they are the company and you can stick them on a stage and they will do an amazing job they will be able to pitch it people will come in behind them because of that strength of personality and, and belief that they have and you know if you look at you know Nikki and Leah from from on who went through the recent program you know Kate from Banjo Zaria from My Tamarin 
Christina from Pladara, Louise, who did Plan Snap in, in one of my programs in New York, like incredible founders that you watch them pitch their product and you watch them interview people and you see people buying into not just the product, but buying into them. Mm. Uh, and there is to an extent, if you're going to run a really big, successful company, there is a certain amount of a cult of personality that has to exist yeah. around you. Like you can't, Authenticity. yeah, like you can't build Monzo if you're not famous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, building that in isolation, nice idea, not going to work, right? And so you, you, you have to have that ability to, you know, build followers around you. So I think that tenacity and that personality is really important. I think also then people who are kind of structured and rigorous and, and systematic in terms of the way that they look at the problems that they're trying to solve. Like I, I love meeting founders who go, I was a, you know, a lawyer for 20 years mm. and I, I used to waste five hours of my week doing X. And then I met someone at a dinner party and I told them X was a problem and they were a computer scientist and we decided to you know, build a company together. Yeah, when it's first-hand experience, I think they're the most interesting ones, aren't Unbelievable, they? Unbelievable. Right? Because they've literally experienced it. They know exactly what the roadblock is. Yeah. They've obviously done extensive research to try and find a solution, didn't exist. Yeah. So it's like almost tried and tested first-hand. And I love, like, you know, almost to, the, the first company I started was to, to a large extent kind of almost an somewhat accidental business where mm -hmm. it was one of these things where you know and, and a kind of an insight kept hitting me in the face until eventually i was like hmm actually maybe i should do something around this we had the same thing with a company called banjo robinson that, that just finished the the program uh, recently here where kate the ceo was living in la she was working in the kind of hollywood script room uh, environment a bunch of her friends here in the uk were starting to have kids and she used to send them letters mm -hmm. uh, and it was a little bit like the simpsons right the, the letters were entertaining for the kids but there was enough kind of references in there for the parents uh, to, to yeah a bit the of kind of double meaning yeah you, gotta, you know you gotta give uh, give where you can but she started writing these letters and started getting responses oh, uh, wow. and and her friends were kind of like oh you know actually my kids really like this and this is the they read it and they're engaged with it and they're enthusiastic about what they're uh, reading and they're writing back and like we literally couldn't pay our children to write in any other way mm. um and as she started getting more and more of this feedback started going oh you know what actually maybe there's something here maybe yeah. this is a, a, a something bigger than just me writing to my friends but what if i wrote to people i don't know mm -hmm. uh, you know and, and she built a, an entire business around that which is now main stage at web summit final three of the pitch competition raised over a million dollars from from sesame street's venture arm and and, and many others and yeah. you know has turned that into something that that, that is going to be a, a really huge kind of children's band like the, the next peppa pig and mm. i think you know those types of companies where it comes from a point of personal need or or in many cases real personal frustration mm. that is the company like th there are some businesses that we invest in where you go you kind of want someone who's going to walk into the brick wall that's that's in front of us here and get a little bit deterred and then just do it again and again and again and again and they will do it so often that they will eventually make a person shaped dent in that wall yeah. and eventually go through on the other side and the rest of the world will follow them yeah. and I think those are the types of businesses that, that get me really excited because the passion's there and you can see it when they talk when they share it you see their eyes light up you know there's a lot of fintechs that were actually creating originally creating other platforms and then they realized that there wasn't really the infrastructure there so then they've kind of had this offshoot of another yeah. idea which is quite incredible so the best you know the best founders that i've ever invested in when you sit in a room with them and they get really really into what they're doing you know there's probably some sort of glasses or you know uv lighting that you can use but like you can see the energy coming off them as they yeah. talk about their product and as they talk about their idea and as they talk about their team and as they talk about their their plans 
And when you get that, that, that kind of fizz that's coming off people, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, mm. it's absolutely incredible to see it. And investors can see it, customers can see it, you know, journalists can see it, all of the people that you need as stakeholders in your business, that is a very visible and tangible thing. And so mm. I also meet a lot of people who kind of go, oh, well, I read an article and so I started a business, you know, I read an article that said X was a problem and so I decided to start a company to solve it. And it's like, well, do you really, do you actually care about that problem? Yeah. Like, are you are you really going to, you know, sit up until four o'clock in the morning writing notes about problem A, B or C? Mm. Or are you just doing a company because you kind of felt you should? Yeah, because I mean, the first few years you could be, you know, it's not just like millions of dollars and private jets and stuff. The first it's really, many it's years, really so you hard. really have to yeah. have that passion to see you through those long hours and yeah. I mean, it's like funding rejections. Literally, and all starting a company is the stupidest thing that anyone will ever do. Like, it is literally the dumbest thing that I have ever done in my entire life. <laughs> I had a really good job. I had a you know pension, all of these types of things, mm. and then I was like, oh, you know what? Actually, I want to go and 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 do this you know, crazy stuff on the internet 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and it was insane. Like looking back at it now, by any logical measure, you know, the, the, the 40 year old me would look at 25 year old me and go, no, no, no. <laughs> like what you want to do is not that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was the best thing I ever did. Like I, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm now in the position where I'm, you know, talking to you and, and, and working with all of these amazing companies, but it is a very difficult path to go down. And it, mm. you know, it will be, tough and hard and lonely and this is why having co-founders really helps you know mm -hmm. because you can have staff and friends and colleagues but ultimately having someone that's going through the same journey as you and who you can who sees the same bank account details that you do mm. uh, is 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 really unbelievably helpful i think for 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 founders but it is very difficult and you need to have a very you know i was very lucky that i had parents and friends and people around me that were very supportive but you know it's 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 not an easy thing for anyone to do and and you know, the reality is, unfortunately, not every company goes on to, to have success. In many cases, mm -hmm. you're going to have to fire a bunch of people and, and maybe wind your company down. And so there, there, there is a, it's like there's there's like a switch that's gone off somewhere in, in, in someone's brain when they start a company. And part of me loves it. Part of me kind of wants to go, are you sure? You, you know what you're getting yourself in for here. Yeah, right? you know? it's nerve wracking, but it's thrilling. If it's something you're passionate about, like everyone wants a job that they wake up every morning and they just want to jump out of bed. And I'm sure it's not always like that, running your own company, but when things do work out, I guess that sense of fulfillment must just be Yeah, you exist in a, in a like a, as a founder, I think you exist in two states. I'm not entirely sure there's a third, right? It's either total ecstasy mm -hmm. where oh we've just done this deal amazing we've just hired this incredible person oh everything's wonderful like oh our numbers are going up or absolute despair yeah i can imagine like, oh, an emotional that's... roller coaster yeah, like i could probably draw you a map of the ceiling in my bedroom from when i ran the first company yeah because you would wake up at like three o'clock in the morning looking at the ceiling going do any i probably have to fire this person like uh, yeah the, you know this client hasn't or this partner hasn't paid us in time are we going to be able to make Christmas payroll because it's like whatever X amount of money that they're supposed to be giving us? Yeah, it's a weird journey to go on. But when it goes, I mean, even to be fair, the company that I ran that, that didn't work out was uh, more stressful than the ones that did. But I definitely learned more from it. Mm. Um, and so is I think that, it is, did you use those learnings to then create those other companies that did become successful? Ironically, actually, the, the, it was the last company that I, I ran that was the least successful. Oh, um, interesting. But I think the... Um, you know, what we say to the companies here doing doing Techstars is, uh, you know, a lot of what they go through. So the, the first month of the program is, is heavily kind of mentor driven. And so 
in a you know three week period they'll meet about a hundred different mentors and advisors like in a kind of speed dating format so oh, wow. they'll have 15 minute sessions with 10 people every day and it'll be like kind of oh this is what we do this is what i do and here's what i think you know where i can help or what i think you should do with your business etc etc mm -hmm. but a lot of it is actually and those mentors are you know former founders executives of big companies you know people who work in the, the legal world or accounting world so it's mm -hmm you know, different kind of range of, of perspectives and opinions. And they are they vetted or? Yeah, so we, we interview all of them and, yep. and make sure that they're kind of the right people and they're doing it for, you know, we, we have this kind of mantra of give first. And I, you know, I first got involved in, in Techstars as a mentor where whatever limited amount of experience that I'd had as a, a founder, it was kind of interesting to have conversations with, with other people going through the same journey to go, mm -hmm. hey, here's all the things that I made a total mess of. Mm -hmm. Like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we say it to the companies, it's like actually your experience on Techstars is largely a collection of people going, here's all the mistakes that I made. Try to avoid them. Try to avoid and then come back and tell us in two years time, when you've become successful, come back and tell us all the additional mistakes that you made, mm. and then we'll add them to the list. Like uh, the concept of black box thinking, yeah. isn't it? Just sharing those learnings and don't just keep those little secrets to yourself. Yeah. We can all grow and develop for the wider. Uh, and I think that's, you know, good. London is, is getting better at that. You know, if you went to over the last 20 years or maybe even 40 or 50 years, if you went to San Francisco, there were a lot of people who had gone through the founder journey both successfully and unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people that you could talk to and a lot of people that would talk back about their successes and failures and what they'd learned and so forth. I think I, I saw uh, Will, the, the founder of Deliveroo, being interviewed a couple of years ago and he was kind of saying, oh, until relatively recently, if you wanted to have those conversations, you had to get in a plane and it would take you 12 hours to have them. Whereas now you look at it and go, well, actually, you have, you know, the folks from TransferWise here. You have people that have grown and scaled Spotify mm -hmm. here. You have the Monzos of this world, you know, the Revoluts, you know, lots and lots of companies that have gotten, you know, in many cases, very, very big. Mm -hmm. um, and I think having that support structure and having those role models that you can look up to and go, hey, if this person started a company and built an app and turned it into something that has, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of users, maybe I can do that as well. Hmm. And I think what's been really nice is to watch, we had Tom from Monzo come in and do his founder story uh, for the companies here about four weeks ago. Um, and he came in and was like unbelievably honest about you know what was in, in some cases a very funny and in some cases a very tough journey. And he sat for probably four hours with the companies afterwards just wow. going, yeah, look. And, and his view, which I thought was really, he, he said it during his talk that when he was going through Y Combinator, the, the kind of, Thursday evening dinners that they used to have, they would bring a founder in and that person would be very honest. He was kind of like, look, this is just the, the way that I can give back. Mm, absolutely. And I think that is really important. Like that, you know, whether it's the mentors that we have, whether it's the founders that are coming in and telling these stories, whether it's the investors in the ecosystem now that, that, that have that experience and empathy that, that, you know, the founders are going through, that's really important. Mm. And, I, and I think having that network and those conversations is, is something that's fundamental to an ecosystem being su successful uh, and I think we're getting to that point here now. Mm. And less isolating as well for founders who are going through those moments of despair like that they're not the only ones that have experienced this and people like Tom yeah. who's had an incredible successful journey so far you know if he's done it and look at where he is now yeah. you know maybe I can too as a founder. Yeah, yeah. and I think you, you need those you know you, you need those touch points and you need those people and you need those connections and you need that understanding to go yes this is a somewhat bizarre and ridiculous and lonely journey that you're mm -hmm. going on but there are other people who've been on it before and I think particularly if you are a founder who's not white and male 
you're going to go on a very different journey to founders who are. And then having a support structure like you know, six out of the 10 companies that, that we invested in in the last program had female CEOs. Mm -hmm. If you talk to them about the, the journey that they've gone on in terms of fundraising and talking to VCs, it's very different to talking to the male CEOs about the journeys that they've gone on. And so I think having those points of reference and those peer groups is unbelievably important because I think that is what helps ecosystems and, and industries and, and individuals scale. Uh, and I think you have to have that sanity check of, am I like am I the only person who's had an experience of, uh, we see all the time, particularly with, with female founders, you go and you talk to VCs, they're like, oh, well, you know, are you gonna run, what happens to this business if you get pregnant? Well, you know, like, uh, that's kind of a natural thing that happens, like, yeah. you know, maybe, you, maybe you're aware of the fact that, you know, when you were born, your mom got pregnant. Um, <laughs> to kind of go, I mean, frankly, A, who are the people who are asking this? B, how do you deal with those questions? And, and, and C, how do you kind of adapt and overcome? And who are the people mm. that you actually wanna have those conversations with mm. from a funding perspective? And I think having, which is amazing now that there are so many networks and so many groups and so many, you know, whether it's WhatsApp channels or Telegram channels or Slack groups, mm. where founders can have those conversations, where people in the investment industry can have those conversations and, and where the wider ecosystem can be aware of what's going on. Mm. Like that, that I think is really important. And, and having, my hope is that the companies that sat with Tom for four or five hours when he was chatting after his founder story, in two or three years time, the, the, the companies from that batch that have gone on to be the next Monzo or um, you know the next love film or you know the next kind of whatever unicorn mm -hmm. that they will come back in and it's really nice like now we have founders that have gone through Techstars over the last five or six years in, in London come back in and mentor come back in and do founder stories come back in and kind of paying it back isn't it yeah that that that, that kind of way of doing things is, is incredible and, and really nice to see and I think something that frankly we could do with with having more of mm. and earlier you touched on some of the funding experiences and you mentioned that say VC funding is not for everyone there mm -hmm. is a certain level of I guess pressure or fast scaling that can sometimes not be the right fit for a yeah. certain business so there's angel there's crowdfunding VC there's all sorts of funding mm -hmm. what are your kind of opinions on those and what is I guess the best approach to knowing how to identify what's the best fit for your business. I think you know the, the UK is in a, a relatively unique position in, in terms of the kind of SEIS and EIS uh, tax incentive schemes for for angels. So the, the, I would say the angel ecosystem is pretty vibrant here. Like I was I was at an event, um, DIT and, and London and Partners hosted yesterday. I think they said there was like nineteen thousand angel investors uh, just in London. Wow, that's which is great. pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so I think angel investors are amazing for, for lots and lots of businesses, uh, particularly angel investors who've, you know, got some sectoral expertise or who have, you know, some empathy with founders because they've been there and, and, and done it before. Like, you know, one of the reasons that companies can grow and scale and do so well in, in San Francisco or I mean, now in New York and, and to an extent here is that you've got lots of people who are founders of tech companies putting five or 10 or 50 or 100K back into other tech companies and going, oh yeah, I'll introduce you to these five people who helped me along the way, or this was my first client, they can be your first client as well. Okay, yeah. So I think those angel investors who've got not just cash, but a network and an understanding and an ability to open doors are, are amazing. And I think now we're seeing rounds up to probably half a million, two million quid being able to come together through syndicates of angel investors or through groups of, of individual angels. So I think from an angel perspective, depending on who your angel investor is, you need to kind of think about what your capital requirements are likely to be for the business over X period of time. And mm -hmm. 
with some angel investors, the money that they're giving you could be money that they're going to spend on a holiday going to Mexico. And so are they going to have a tension in terms of how quickly they want that money back? Or are they more patient capital and, and, and more patient supporters of you and the, and the business? Uh, so I think with, with angels, it's a lot of reference checking and making sure it's the right person you're working with and making sure that you know your kind of interests and, and frankly incentives are, are aligned. I think with, with, with VC, you know, we've seen an exploit, I think there's close to probably two billion pounds in, in VC funding uh, knocking around in at, at an early stage for, for companies in, in the UK now. Mm-hmm. We had Balderton this week do a you know a new fund. You know, and there are a bunch of others who are currently raising or about to announce. So I think the early stage VC funding environment in, in this uh, ecosystem is, is very strong. I do think companies that think about the VC world need to understand how the economics work for venture capitalists and what their timelines are like. And, and if you're running a fund that has a you know, five or 10 year time horizon, you're probably going to invest you know, at a seed stage, maybe a, a million pounds into a company. And then you're going to need that company to either scale really quickly and start throwing off lots and lots of money and, and you know be a candidate for an acquisition or an IPO, mm. or you're going to need that company to go and raise lots and lots more money. And it, it can be a little bit like, think about it, it's like you know those hamster wheels, right? And you, you hamsters yeah. get on it, you run, you run, you run, you run. And it's great if you have lots and lots of energy, it mm-hmm. can kind of keep going indefinitely, but it's very hard to find an off-ramp from a hamster wheel. Yeah. And what happens with most companies is they run out of energy and the wheel keeps going, but they don't, and they just get spun around and around, eventually they get sick and fall off. Yeah. Um, and so you've got to kind of think about, it's great to have a $10 million in funding from a VC, but what is the actual cost of that outside of just a pure equity cost to, mm. to your company? And what does that mean for your future time horizon? What does it mean for future developments? Because I think once you get on that particular journey, it's, it's very hard to get off it yeah. until you have like a big exit or, or, or a big IPO. And I think what's been really interesting is watching the rise of the kind of crowdfunding platforms now whether it be Cedars or, or Crowdcube or Thunderbeam, who, who, full disclosure, I've invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting now is you've got a lot of these platforms going, hey, with, with, with Thunderbeam, what they're looking at is you can, instead of doing a listing on the you know London Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, you can effectively list your company on this platform from day one. You can mm-hmm. raise funding against it. If I, as an angel investor, invest in companies on, on that platform and they go on and raise subsequent rounds or they generate more revenue or they do a big partnership, you know, the value of my angel investment goes up and I can sell a little bit of that shareholding. So there's some liquidity in the market for for early angels, because I think one of the challenges that crowdfunding had in the in the US and here is Mm. you got a lot of people going, well, I'll put my pocket money into a company Mm. and they don't necessarily always understand that actually the time horizon for seeing any of that money back is like 10 years. Yeah, it's not you know, it's it's I I mean, I, I wish it were easier to access. Uh, liquidity and that I think is why and I mean I think Cedars and Crowdcube are are experimenting with these kind of liquid secondary markets but Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of quite interesting to to watch it develop so the good thing for founders is now there are a variety of ways for you to raise capital for a company yeah and you're not reliant on just going to the bank who frankly in many cases don't understand what you're talking about you're not reliant on going to a VC who in many cases aren't interested in what you're talking about you have a full grouping of different opportunities in terms of where you can access capital, where you can access support. And and I think for certainly the first time that I can remember it, founders have optionality mm-hmm. and they can kind of start thinking about, all right, well, do I really want the money from this person? I'm not, you know, I'm not saying every company can simply choose where they take their money from, but there at least are some options out there, which yeah. didn't exist a few years ago. 
And I mean, from your experience being on the founder side and now on the flip side, mm. does it get easier, you know, from say a seed round to series no. C? <laughs> so it's, it's a really good question. I, I thought when I started investing, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of now, I'm on easy street. This is it, it's, it's you know, I'm never gonna have to go through the, the journey of, of fundraising again. It turns out it's just a, a different type of fundraising that, right. that you do. And so it is, relatively speaking, straightforward to raise an SEIS or, or EIS round here from, from angels. So a lot of companies can get their first 150, 200K. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's certainly easier than it is in a lot of other markets. Mm-hmm. As a result, when you're going for a bigger seed round or when you're starting to talk about Series A or Series B or, or, or later stage rounds of funding, there probably is more pressure on having the right metrics, the right numbers, the right retention, the right revenue, you know, all of these different things. So it, it never, unless you are an absolute rocket ship where the company is growing, you know, 100% or 500% week over week or month over month, or you're in a position where, and to be honest, like most founders, if they're being super honest, will admit to you, they have absolutely no idea why something is happening in terms of growth, mm. but it's happening and they're happy to sit there going, Yep, we made some good decisions. Yeah, because I guess in that in those early stages, you're kind of just throwing a bunch of ideas out there, hoping that some of them will go well. Yeah, who, who knows why it's, like every why it's week working? Even. Yeah, you know, so it's hard to gauge exactly, as you said, what's attributing to I mean, that. Look, I thought that you know, the Duolingo, the the language learning app. You know, if I, you, I you, love you, Duolingo. Louis, who, who is the founder of that, I remember seeing him do a talk, and they were like, you know, they, they acquired users, and they were doing you know, reasonably well, probably, you know, single digit millions or, or maybe tens of, of, of millions of users. But they were one of the very early language running apps on the App Store. And back then, if you were featured by Apple on the App Store, it was a really big deal. Like people downloaded apps based on what Apple said. And I remember him saying they were featured in, you know, whatever the US App Store and a couple of other ones. He was like, yeah, we were getting like two million downloads a day and really kind of going, I have no idea why this is happening. <laughs> I like it, but I don't this know is, why. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Please continue. Uh, like, how do I replicate it? Who knows? Yeah. And I think, it, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in that position, you will have venture capitalists coming to you going, please take our money. Mm. The reality is for most companies, you are going to have to go. And I, even with the kind of whatever rocket ship companies that we've invested in, you still have to go and to a large extent, explain to people why they should give you this, you know, one or two or 10 or 100 million in funding. Mm. So it. It does, in fact, the decks and the presentations and the questions get much more detailed and granular. So for your seed round, it's frequently going to be you and an angel investor sat in a coffee shop or a you know room like this. Mm. For your Series B or your Series C, it's you and like 20 people on the other side of the table and you'll have like your data science officer and, you know, five people on your side of the table. And, you know, it's like testifying in front of Congress. So yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't like, it? Yeah. I'm going to have to confer with my learned <laughs> colleague here. Like, what's the answer to this question? What are we doing yeah, again? Like, how do, I, how do I explain our growth? I don't know, just say something. <laughs> like, and and that, that, that journey and that process gets more detailed and, and, and more granular as you go through. But the more that you do it, the better you get at it as well. Mm. Um, and it's funny is then you, you know, if, if companies exit and are successful and people go on, they become, you know, investors. You then have a different set of conversations around funding because you're, then you're talking to a whole different set of people who are going to put money into your fund or into your organization or you know so like i say i i thought at a certain point i would get off the merry-go-round but um it's like hotel california like you can, <laughs> you can never entirely leave so advisory boards are another area hotly discussed by founders when is the right time for a business to look to appoint an advisory board and i guess you know as someone who's been on multiple advisory boards 
What do you think is the best approach for that? I think it's it's never too early actually for for companies. You know, I think in even when you have no money or no investment or, or no capital or no revenue, and you can't afford to hire people, one of the things that you have to play with is is equity in your company, mm. and the ability to go to someone and go, I'm going to give you one percent or half a percent or a quarter percent in in options, to make some connections, to give me some advice, to spend some time with me or to help the business, that is invaluable. And, and those people are incredible. And I think it is an undervalued aspect of, of business for, for a lot of people. So I think getting the right people involved, getting the right people in, getting the, the right advisors and uh, conversations going as, as soon as you can is mm. incredibly powerful. And, you know, I mean, one of the the things that we do during the program is is bring in all of these mentors in in the early stages and in many cases you know companies will spend a couple of 13 weeks of the program talking to and working with and engaging with those mentors and at the back end of it go all right well you've been really incredibly helpful in terms of advice guidance intros you know connections etc i want you to be a, a part of this business going forward and i think when you have the right advisors when you have the right advisory board it helps with a whole range of things from that advice and guidance and intros, mm. right the way through to you know the challenge that a lot of founders have is you get super in the weeds and super tactical. Mm. And you kind of think like, here's the thing that is an hour ahead of me or maybe a day ahead of me or maybe a week in front of me. Mm. And actually sometimes having an advisory board that you meet once every couple of weeks or maybe once a week or once a month or once a quarter, it just forces you to look around a little bit and go, yeah, oh yeah, step back a bit. there's a bigger world. There, you know, you see the woods, uh, or you see the wood and you see the trees. Mm. Uh, and I think that strategic view is, is incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is, I mean, when, you know, starting out a company, there's so many things you want to be achieving. How do you even prioritize them? How do you focus on now, but the three year, five year, mm. 10 year kind of view? Um, speaking of your programs, when is the next uh, intake round for you guys? So Techstars runs, if you go to techstars.com forward slash apply, um, there are programs running pretty much every two months around the world now. Um, so we are constantly taking applications across uh, a range of programs, be they the city program that I run, which is kind of stage and sector agnostic. So we mm -hmm. invest in all types of companies or ones that are maybe more vertical specific, like our, our, our Barclays program, which looks at, at, at fintech companies. The London program, uh, our applications open in February, uh, so we will be, uh, we're already frankly having conversations with companies, but um, certainly I'm pretty easy to find on Twitter and LinkedIn and all of these different places. So if mm -hmm. people want to have a have a chat about potentially joining the London program, then I'm easy to find. Uh, you can have a look at all of the companies that have gone through before and ask them whether or not we're uh, legitimate or uh, you know <laughs> full of shit, and uh, <laughs> we're not. But uh, but I think it's it's good to do your your due diligence. But yeah, from a from a TechStars perspective, we're always looking for, for great new companies to, to come in and join the portfolio and join the, the network that we have. Mm. Eamon, it's been an absolute blast for having you here. I think there's so much great information there and pointers for anyone looking to start a business or someone still in those early phases. So thank you so much for your time and for all of your advice and tips. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. For more episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Head to our website, globaldigitalbanker.com, and you can review all the previous episodes and subscribe on there too.